I want to take a moment to share some observations and do a bit of editorializing this episode. And the topic I am going to discuss today, I'm going to title The Healthcare Consumer in a Fictitious Market. I think we can agree and that we can't ignore that most Americans actually do like systems and routines. Chains like Starbucks have thrived, charging significant sums to fatigued consumers willing to shell out time and money for a luxury. We are living in an era where checks and balances to prevent mistakes and to decrease variation in latte preparation has become a modern reality. Whether we go to a Starbucks in Colorado Springs or Chicago, we get a remarkably similar experience. So why can't healthcare have similarly happy customers and consistent outcomes? And there are a few reasons for that. First of all, we understand what we are paying for in nearly every business transaction except for healthcare. At this point, just about everyone understands that healthcare reimbursement is extremely complex. Now, when I receive bills from a doctor or hospital, I get confused. And I understand the system better than 99% of the public. For a colonoscopy that I needed a few years ago, I paid a copay, then a facility fee, then received bills from the gastroenterologist, the anesthesiologist, the pathologist, and some other fees I still don't understand. The bills arrived separately over a couple months. There was zero transparency about the charges before the procedure. It is one of the many reasons why several advocate for a single bundled case rate that consumers will be informed of before an elective procedure. Because huge price variability exists across most geographic regions for the exact same medical procedure. There is no evidence that those charging more have better quality or outcomes. See, coffee drinkers would quickly figure out if a nearby shop charged triple the amount of a competitor. It is not so easy to figure that out as a patient. Most hospitals and doctors aren't even aware of what competitors charge. Pointing out existing price variabilities is not an accusation of swindling, but rather exposes how complex everything really has become. Unlike Starbucks, our customers don't go to hospitals or doctor's offices because they want to be there. Distinct from other businesses, they are not always speaking with their wallets. Our customers are not buying a good experience. They are often just trying to prevent a bad situation from getting worse. Nevertheless, there are still some learning points we can hijack from places like Starbucks. Their processes are automated, but the product is individualized. When customers believe they are not getting individual attention, it diminishes the experience. Automated responses, even when they come from a breathing person, can feel analogous to using a computerized phone menu. Few go to Starbucks because they want a specific barista. Most Starbucks baristas have a friendly demeanor and capably concoct great lattes or cappuccinos or whatever you're ordering. We feel pretty comfortable with whoever's providing a service, and they have an aura of accountability to us that they will make our drink satisfactorily. Patients don't always have the same trust and quality when it comes to healthcare. People will seek a specific hospital or specific physician when there's time to investigate the options, 
But for most hospitalizations, that ability to inquire and scrutinize does not exist because the needs are often urgent. The public craves reliability no matter what industry they are dealing with. Major illness makes us feel scared and helpless, and during those intense experiences, we particularly desire personal and reliable care. That often puts healthcare under the microscope, as some patients become upset even if the perception of fallibility exists. Fortunately, striving for near-perfect consistency and high reliability is the worthy mission most everyone in healthcare wants to achieve, whether public pressure exists on us or not. That reliability is nevertheless hard to attain given the variability of each person and disease. So what else does the consumer want? Much of what the healthcare consumer wants is obvious. Convenience, access, clinical excellence, and the personal touch. And we all want it at the lowest possible cost. But what people really want is health, not healthcare. To achieve health, we must convince all patients that they are partners in their care. It will require us caregivers to strengthen our psychology skills to help patients overcome unhealthy habits. People either need to find time for healthy activities or plan on spending more time ill. While there are exceptions, we must also accept that we doctors treat illness better than promoting health. And one of the several reasons we don't persistently preach to patients is we learn quickly that most people really don't want to hear it. That is where a big distinction is drawn between healthcare and nearly every other industry. Many are increasingly talking about managing populations of patients, but the reality is that the model used by most businesses won't work. Managing a horde of sick people is not like managing an airport or an amusement park. The undeniable fact is many Americans have not been living healthy lifestyles. The unworried unwell remains a huge challenge for our country, and the healthcare system too often takes the blame. To change outcomes, some are starting to change strategies, and some of those new strategies may or may not work. Now, time will tell if increased access and delivery will dramatically improve the health of our population. I think to dramatically change health, we can't focus solely on increasing access and delivery. Much of the responsibility regarding behavioral modification needs to also be assumed by the healthcare consumer. Folks may even need to change to lower calorie drinks at Starbucks. And that is why our industry has challenges like no other. To be successful in achieving health, people often need to do things they don't want to do. Many times we have tremendous success with patients. Other times we witness non-compliance, or even anger at our suggestions. Yet even in the setting of non-compliance and opposition, we have a legal responsibility, such as with the EMTALA law, to carry the financial burden of those making poor personal choices. And those costs are immense and must be pushed on to our other patient customers. That distinction is also unique, as no other industry is forced to use their limited resources in futile situations. Since there is no political will from any party to ration care, even discussing end-of-life options has politically been labeled as 
death panels. I'm talking about just asking about DNR. And therefore, those continued expenses, those futile, bad behavioral choices, those end-of-life situations where we can't even consider rationing, those patients I sometimes see in clinic or in the hospital that don't want to take their diabetes medicines or hypertension medicines or quit smoking, yet we are judged and paid upon whether those quality metrics are fulfilled. Those continued expenses will be a reality healthcare consumers will have to fund for the foreseeable future. Another weighty issue that can't be ignored gets back to the fact that our paying patients rarely directly pay for the services our industry offers. They do pay, but mostly indirectly through taxes and employment benefits. Or it happens through social programs. So there was an article, The Anatomy of Healthcare in the United States, in the Journal of American Medical Association in 2013, and I want to quote them. And that quote is, there has been a, quote, decline in personal spending for physician services and drugs, with government and commercial payers now responsible for more than 90% of hospital and physician costs and 80% of drugs and nursing home care. So that's the end of the quote. Now, co-pays are increasing, particularly with the Affordable Care Act, but don't approach the majority of spending. Those higher deductibles have increased out-of-pocket exposure, but still did not stimulate the consumer-driven comparison shopping that free market advocates hoped for. While it seems reasonable to think that higher deductibles would force patients to become cognizant of lower-priced products and services, many are concerned those higher deductibles ultimately result in people skipping lower-cost preventative care. Now, when it comes to high-cost items, like any hospitalization, many patients blow through a $4,000 copay halfway through the ER visit. At that point, it doesn't matter how much an overnight stay or inpatient procedure will cost. When patients skip high-value preventative medicines like diabetic and blood pressure pills to avoid out-of-pocket expenses, perhaps a consequence will be increased hospitalization. For that reason, some conjecture that deductibles might increase overall expense. While that debate about whether deductibles ultimately drive up costs will obviously continue, an absurd truth remains. Those patients paying for everything completely out of pocket still have little chance of being informed about healthcare expenses in the current system. A true market has price transparency. Consumer demand fluctuates with those prices. The ability to easily comparison shop does not exist in American healthcare. Even we doctors remain unaware of the costs of most of the drugs we prescribe, the labs we order, and the procedures we do. Even when I do learn the price of a medication or lab test, those prices can widely fluctuate based on contracts and insurance plans. It is nearly impossible to engage the patient in purchase decisions when we are clueless what the final bill will be. True informed consent would reveal the anticipated cost of care, but we are nowhere close to that being a reality. Whether it is automobile options in a car they are buying or quality data about a hospital, consumers want to know about product differences when they exist. 
Occasionally, more expensive does mean superior quality, and they may be willing to pay for it, but very often it doesn't, and they will prefer value. And with medical science becoming so complex that doctors can't agree on many studies and quality metrics, it is hard for the consumer to know if they are getting the best option available, the best value. Simplifying definitions of value and quality for consumers is one of the great challenges for the future. Our systems of care were set up to please providers, hospitals, the government, and multiple other financial stakeholders. The rules are slowly changing. The needs of the consumer are progressively taking priority. Convenience and price are among the factors getting a closer look. Everybody is aware that the healthcare product line is extremely diverse and complex. The typical Starbucks customer gradually learns about the drink menu as they watch other customers order. A person doesn't walk in the first time and have the courage to order an extra hot, no foam, one pump, white mocha, decaf, vente latte. And that is with the menu in front of their face, right? So hospital menus are even more colossal and imponderable. Add to that the absence of prices, and the menu might as well be invisible. Even when there is access to a hospital charge master, it rarely correlates with what a consumer ends up paying. While healthcare has so far been immune to price competition, many suspect the trend towards higher deductibles could change some of that. But so far, the early trials are not yielding the expected results, as I've already said. In the May 3rd, 2016 Journal of American Medical Association, there was a study titled The Association Between Availability of Price Transparency Tool and Outpatient Spending. It showed that when price transparency tools for outpatient costs were offered to employees at two large companies, it didn't lower spending. The reasons why it had little effect were several, not the least of which is only about 10% of employees actually got on the available tool to look at it. You can tell me all day long about websites and television shows and podcasts to check out, but most of the time I will forget to do it. It is no different with my corporate employer or insurance company emails that notify me about price transparency tools. Second, if we are going to blow through our deductible no matter what, why spend a ton of time price shopping? If I can get any car I want for a $5,000 copay, you best believe I am not picking the cheapest option. Let's also remember that a lot of patients decide on their care via referrals. Am I going to disregard my primary care provider's referral and go with a lower-cost hip replacement from someone I have never heard of? Since traditional market mechanisms don't exist in healthcare, I am in the camp that believes the consumer will never be in the strongest position to manage healthcare spending, even with increasing copays. There have been a lot of other moves to increase transparency in other areas. The AMA opposed Medicare's long-standing desire to publish how much it pays individual physicians. The AMA considered it a violation of privacy rights for doctors, but lost the battle in 2014. However, and this is important, only part of the story is being told with this move towards payment transparency. The publicly available data 
does not disclose physician billing of private insurance. The balance of Medicare versus insured patients makes it impossible to know what a physician really collected. And even since publishing that payment data, I don't think it has had even a mild impact on healthcare economics. Not all that unexpected with government websites. I can't even find my own data. When I search my own name on openpaymentsdata.cms.gov, the results said they couldn't find me. And I assure you, I see Medicare patients. Though I admit that if I wasn't writing this commentary, I would never have searched that site. And I doubt patients search it with regularity either. Likewise, the Affordable Care Act has a price transparency provision. It's section 2718E that hospitals should publish their prices, but the rule has not been widely enforced yet. Even if that happens, published retail rates will have little correlation with what payers are actually billed because hospitals usually collect a small percentage of charges and not surprisingly, insurers have also been opposed to publication of their negotiated prices. There are some areas where it would be great if the patient and providers had transparency, meaning every time you prescribed or picked up a prescription, it would be terrific if each party knew the price difference between the brand name and the generic. Biosimilar products are as big of an issue. A family member of mine recently was prescribed a steroid nasal spray for hundreds of dollars and had no idea that cheaper generic over-the-counter nasal sprays have never been shown to be any less effective. It makes many of us cringe when the single most expensive drug is the first prescribed when multiple options in the same exact class are available. Ugh, and the numerous examples where that is the case could easily be a five-hour lecture. Listen, at the end of the day, the consumer sentiment about medicine has understandably shifted towards the way cows feel about McDonald's. Until the consumer has the ability to make informed decisions about their purchases and some liability for their personal choices, until practitioners and manufacturers come to believe it is their job to be transparent about options, the U.S. simply won't have an authentic market in healthcare. You've been listening to Dr. Gil Peratt, and thank you for listening to me.